Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Hey folks, Jason Moore here. Welcome back to the Elite HRV podcast. Coach Alex Fergus joins us today to share his experience balancing elite rowing, nationally competitive powerlifting, and bodybuilding, all kind of with his evolution towards long-term health. Um, He's done some extreme tracking along the way and experimentation, which we dig into, and he's figured out not only what works best for himself, but now also all of his clients in his successful and budding health coaching practice. Depending on the situation, he measures way more than just heart rate variability, uh, including stool testing, micronutrient testing, fatty acid profiles, various other blood tests, a whole lot of different things that we cover. Um, He also shares some of the tips that he's gathered over the years on things like super slow training and the Maffetone protocols and uh, the ketogenic diet and pitfalls of the ketogenic diet. Um, how to build a successful performance plan that also boosts health at the same time. It's a big discussion and there's a lot of gems throughout it. So let's just go ahead and dive in and I will let Alex introduce himself in the episode. So here we go. Welcome to the Elite HRV podcast, Alex. Thanks. It's uh, great being here. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time all the way on the other side of the planet. Um, And we were just talking about before we started recording that life seems to be pretty hard right now for you over there on the beach in New Zealand. Uh, But (laughs) no, I I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. And maybe we could start with you just giving the audience a little bit uh, about yourself. Sure. Um, Yeah, so I'm a Kiwi, a New Zealander. I was born in New Zealand and spent uh, 20 odd years here. And then recently, well, then moved to uh, Sydney and spent six years there. But then recently, I've just moved back to New Zealand. So I grew up on a little farm, played a lot of sport, pretty active childhood, studied business management, played a lot of rowing, uh, rugby and got into rowing you know, as a teenager and while I was studying and, and spent, uh, put a lot of effort into my rowing and, and managed to do a bit of traveling, went to the States with rowing and some nationals and... Um, Broke a few little records over here as well. Um, so that was a big part of my life. And then um, moved to Sydney. I, I got a job in, in banking, investment banking, and thought that was it. thought, you know, my sporting days were done and and it was uh, just going to be a business life and a, a, a career, sort of, you know, focusing on my career and everything. And realized pretty fast, pretty soon that, you know, I didn't really want to be stuck behind a desk and didn't want to be working the 60, 70 hour weeks. And, um, found like I was going home and I was still reading about you know health and fitness and then I got into powerlifting I was doing a lot of powerlifting at that time and I, I found like my, my job was was restricting um, when I could train and I was missing training sessions because I was doing such long long hours and I was like you know what I, I don't I don't want to do this and so I, I devised a plan and started doing some uh, study part-time and yeah a year later I, I pulled the pin and quit banking to the horror of my parents and a lot of friends who couldn't get jobs and, and all that sort of stuff and I didn't really have a plan and um found myself <laughs> working in a gym in Sydney and uh just working reception you know I was working four or five a.m in the morning doing 
you know, desk jobs, cleaning benches and whatnot for like pennies compared to what I was on uh, at the bank. And but I was happy, and it was it was awesome, and that that started a whole new career. And that was what six years ago, I guess now seven years ago, and. And a lot of things happened from there. You know, I went on to being a personal trainer, to managing the gym, even having a little bit of an ownership stake in this gym. And um, yeah, and, and then got into online coaching. And uh, now I do a lot of online coaching. And, and throughout those years as well, I, I got pretty serious into powerlifting and, and competed at national level for powerlifting. Actually qualified for worlds in powerlifting, but I, I didn't pursue that. And um, got into some cycling, track cycling, and then a couple of years of bodybuilding at a national level in Australia, which I, I won a national champs there. So I had a pretty diverse, I guess now I've got a pretty diverse background in terms of sporting achievements. Uh, and I've worked with a lot of clients and a lot of, you know, fat loss aspect, um, sports performance, just general health and wellbeing. And yeah, I mean, looking back, I, I'm pretty happy with the journey I have sort of taken. And now I've finally returned home and living we're, we're pretty remote, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good. And, and I, I still do a lot of online coaching with a lot of executives and whatnot. And, um, as for my own training, I took a bit of time off due to some health limitations, I guess, a bit of overtraining and pushing myself too hard. And it was great. I learned a lot about that and that, that now helps with my own coaching program. And, and, um, yeah, so now I'm just sort of doing a bit of everything and, you know, I still get out and do some deadlifts and jump on the rowing machine here and there. And, I'm not too sure where I'll go in the near future, but I'll definitely be staying at least in New Zealand and um, enjoying the slower lifestyle. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I appreciate all that. And we've uh, been in contact for, I guess, going on a, a couple of years now, wouldn't wouldn't you say? Yeah, it must be. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, it's been a while. And uh, we had the chance to meet in person at Paleo FX, which was, which was awesome. And Good. And you mentioned that you still do a couple deadlifts and I was there to witness that you did, uh, what was it? Double body weight deadlifts. Uh, how many that you could do in one minute? Was that what it was? Uh, it was body weight and how many you could do at, uh, in two minutes, I think it was. So it was, I think I was 95 kilos. I don't know what that is in pounds, around 200 pounds. And, um, yeah, I think I got, it was around 60 something reps. It was over one every two seconds. 63 or 60 oh, I can't remember exactly but yeah it was it was pretty uh I surprised myself actually because uh at that point I hadn't really done any big compound lift training for about six seven months uh, I was doing a lot of the super slow high intensity training which was literally 15 minutes a week and um you know I just turned up to Palo FX to meet people and you know like yourself and and um <laughs> saw the competition and I was like, well, I'm in no state to do that. I haven't really been training, you know, I've been so focusing on work and, and, and business and everything. And yeah, I thought, well, what the heck, I'll, I'll jump in a few of the events and found out I did a ride and next thing you know, I yeah, well, you, winning it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think, I think you could say you still got it. Uh, the, uh, I mean, that's, that's one of the things over the years that we've known each other that I've really appreciated about you is that not only are you a coach and that well, that's a lot of what we've talked about over the years, but you also do everything on yourself. You take your own health and performance seriously. And like you said, I mean, <laughs> you obviously take things further than some people do by qualifying for worlds and national competitions and things like that, which is fantastic. But uh, also you mentioned your health that you've uh, grown increasingly health focused over the years. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. I mean, I, I've mentioned this in conversations with you before, and I think a big reason behind my success of, of my coaching program that I've built is purely because of my own uh, self-interest in terms of improvement and you know learning about the body so I can perform better and learning about training systems and programs and whatnot so I can perform better and then trialing all these fancy diets and supplements and whatever on myself and then finding what works and what doesn't and then obviously the time uh, invested in that and and reading the books and, and working with other coaches and practicing on myself and then I get to implement that with my clients you know you, you learn a lot right like that experience is huge and so um it's funny because a lot of people are like oh you, you, you know you, you do all these courses and you do all this and what drives you you know your clients are already getting pretty good results why are you doing all this other stuff and I'm like well it's I'm kind of selfish I, I I just want to learn and improve myself and uh, in turn my clients benefit from it but yeah and I think that was being I'm quite competitive as well so when I decide I want to do something it's you know like with the powerlifting okay sure I, I want to get stronger and I want to put on some muscle especially coming from a rowing background where I was like 70 odd kilos um, so that was a goal but then it was like all right well what are the top guys doing here okay they're lifting you know triple body weight on a deadlift all right well that's my goal now you know so everything's quite extreme um <laughs> but yeah, that's that's just the competitive side of me, I guess. And I, I think you also have kind of a, a self-quantifying biohacker side of you as well, if uh, if I'm not mistaken. So what kind of metrics? I know obviously you track heart rate variability on our platform, but what other metrics do you track with yourself or and or with your clients? Yeah, sure. So HRV, um, I've been tracking that since since I was bodybuilding, so four years or so maybe, um, and that's consistently every day, every morning um, I've been doing that. And um, we can talk about this later on if you want, like the impact that had on my own training, my own health. But to answer your question, um, yeah, so I'm doing HIV and my clients are doing HIV every day. Uh, I actually track my sleep, so I'm using the Aura Ring. Uh, I, I really like that as a sleep tracker. Um, it's, it's, I find it's very accurate compared to, you know, the Fitbit and whatnot, um, jawbones and those sort of things. So I, I track that every night or the, the ring just lives on me pretty much. It's been a couple of months now where I, I use it nearly a year probably. So that shows me things like step uh, movement throughout the day and it calculates a readiness score and shows body temperature and everything, which is all pretty cool. But the sleep's the big one that I'm looking at there. So those are the two day-to-day metrics I'm using, HRV and, and the Aura sleep data. Uh, I also tra- check uh, track my body temperature most days. That's something I've been doing recently just just as a, I don't know, a bit of a reference point in terms of thyroid health and, and, and whatnot. But what I, do you, sorry to interrupt, what do you use to track your body temperature? Uh, just a thermometer, just a d- digital thermometer and I'm just tracking putting that under my tongue like mid-morning and just seeing what my temperature is. And the Aura Ring actually measures body temperature and it's tracking it multiple times in a day. However, um, you can't get the actual raw data. You're just seeing a a bit of a graph in terms of low or high. Um, So I I know the guys are are working on, you know, building a coaching or a a web dash so you can actually pull up the exact numbers. But in the meantime, yeah, I'm just, just using a thermometer and, tracking tracking my temperature you know mid-morning usually I, I do that um big reason behind 
starting that was uh, a recent experiment on a ketogenic diet and I noticed like my body temperature was really sort of dropping quite drastically and we can go into that later as well because that was a bit of an experience but yeah um, so those are the day-to-day things and then on a bigger more macro level view uh, I do a lot of blood testing hormonal profiles stool testing DNA testing I've tested everything and uh, I try to do I don't know, at least every six to 12 months, like a big round of, of blood and hormone tests. So, you know, that's things like a full thyroid panel, cholesterol, whatnot, um, vitamin D, CRP, inflammation. And then I've been doing a lot of Dutch testing, which is a dried urine uh, hormonal test. So that's showing your cortisol, um, your sex hormones and everything, but also the metabolites. So what's actually produced and what's been used. Um, and I try to do that. Yeah, like I said, every six to 12 months. And that's the same with my clients, my coaching clients. I get them to do a full blood panel. I get them to do their hormonal panel. And I've actually introduced uh, stool testing as well with my clients now at the start because I was finding so many people like would pick all the low-hanging fruits in terms of fixing their diet and lifestyle and sleep and whatnot. But then they still weren't really getting the results. And then maybe six months later, we'd look at uh, stool testing and we'd find out, you know, they'd have a parasite or they had some really serious gut dysbiosis or something like that. And and that was something I also had myself a few years ago. So um, now I just do that from the start with a a client to see what, what we're working with and then we can address that. Um, but again, with, with my own, um, testing, yeah, it's when I get some spare money and, and get a little bit curious again, I'll, 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 uh, guinea pig, I'll test myself and I'll, I'll do another test to see what needs improving, what has improved and, um, and yeah. And then. Nice. So when you start out with a client, what's kind of the typical path that you take them on? I mean, I know every client has a specific situation um, and you don't have to go into exact details of everything, but generally, where do you try to steer the boat with the majority of your clients? We'll take this four, six weeks off training and um, really just emphasize, you know, fixing their sleep patterns, fixing their diet. So we'll generally do a bit of a, a gut reset, cleansing diet, you know, introducing things like bone broth and re- re- removing gut irritants, you know, things like um, gluten obviously is a big one. And we just do that for a couple of weeks before we start um, really starting to push the the training side of things. And it's it's really that whole, you know, long-term, um, short-term pain, long-term gain. Like it, it may feel hard for some of these guys who are used to training multiple times a day or five times a week or whatever it may be. It's often hard for them to slow right down. But then they start feeling better and their sleep improves and they notice body composition changes and then all of a sudden they're itching to get back into the gym. And yeah, it, it, it seems to work really well. And and throughout that time, you know, I'm using things like HRV tracking to so they're getting that visual feedback as well, showing them, you know, okay, well, this was their baseline at the start. And obviously they have no idea what that means. And I'll send them a few articles about HRV and stuff, but it, it's still hard to really get their head around it. But then as the days and weeks go by and they're starting to see a change in HRV, and they're starting to see an uptick and you know their resting heart rate's improving or what whatnot and they're doing that every morning and it helps just reinforce you know what they are doing is is beneficial and then of course when they start training again and they start overdoing it despite me telling them to slow down and they see the hrv drop off and then maybe a couple months later they do another blood test again it's just all about that feedback and um giving them as much feedback as possible whether it's my own coaching advice whether it's hrv app whether it's the blood test just to help keep them on the right track. 
Yeah. And, and so in, in our discussion that I had with Dr. Mike T. Nelson, and he does some online coaching as well. And he said that one of the powers of all of these tests, and he runs a few different ones, a few uh, similar ones as well, that sounds like that you do. And he said, it's really about creating awareness with the client. And, you know, I, and even for folks who aren't working with a coach, which I hands down always recommend if you're looking to get faster results to work with somebody who knows what they're doing. But that's another side that we can touch on. But uh, for folks that are just trying to learn more about themselves, that they can start looking at, you know, long-term changes with some of those blood tests and hormone testing and stool testing, which I may um, pick your brain for kind of the names or just a list of those that we can include in the show notes that people might be interested in looking at. And then also kind of bringing awareness to the day-to-day or week-to-week changes with heart rate variability. Um, and again, it's it's about creating awareness, getting that feedback, like you said. And because, yeah, it you can tell somebody, hey, uh, let's pull, pull in the reins a little bit. And then four to six weeks from now, you're going to have so much energy compared to where you are now that you're going to be kind of like bursting at the seams to get back into the gym and hit it hard. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that kind of the experience? Yeah, is it's swing that- it's on like, I'll, even when I do reintroduce the training after it's about five or six weeks, we, we start with one uh, strength session a week and then a couple of weeks later we do one interval, you know, hit session a week. And this is just for your average you know, male, female who just wants to lose some weight and stay healthy, right? Like obviously if I'm working with someone who wants to run triathlons, the programming is a bit different. But yeah, general one one strength, one um, interval and then one or two sort of, I call them soft sessions or like a yoga or Pilates or, you know, some rehab exercises, right? And um, when I say that, that's all you need to do. Like generally for most people who want to look and feel good, given all the other stresses that they have in their life, because you've got to remember these intense training sessions are a stress on the body, right? So given all the other stresses they got, like one or two intense sessions a week, that, that's all you need. As long as you're moving and you're, you know, you're not sitting behind a desk for 12 hours a day and going home and sitting behind a TV. And, you know, as long as you're getting up active and you're moving as well, that, that's important as, as, as well as eating a good diet and sleeping well and everything. But generally those guys are fine. And then, maybe a couple weeks into the new training program someone will turn around and be like hey Alex I'm feeling really good like can I do an extra session or you know I really want to get back into the gym hard now and and I'll look at all their stats and stuff like the HIV trends and everything and if they're feeling good and all the numbers look good then sure yeah they can they can push harder but um some people who have gone from training every day for the last 20 odd years and then they have that break and then they get back into just training once or twice a week they love it they're like well this is awesome you know you're telling me i've got all this extra time to spend with my family or work on my business and whatnot um so some people actually never go back to those big training sessions which uh i actually think is a good idea and that's something i try to do myself now because like i said earlier um it's it's just another stress and unless you're training for a particular event or that's your job or profession you don't really need to be in the gym every day or you don't really need to be out running you know 10ks every every day or every second day um just to look and feel good 
Yeah. And and just to kind of add to that last thought is that, especially if you're kind of maintaining and, you know, in my experience, if you want to make concerted pushes every now and then to bump up your strength or your endurance or whatever aspect of performance, and then go into a maintenance phase for the rest of your life or not, you not forever, but, um, for the most of the time, then it doesn't really take that much time to do maintenance in my experience. Um, what do, you, what do you think about that? Is that similar? Yeah, um, so I, I personally don't like the idea of just settling, you know, being being in maintenance mode thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to, I found the sweet spot, I'm going to stay here. Um, but that's just a personal kind of uh, thought or, or something I have because I feel like if you have that mindset, then you will start going backwards. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if you think, all right, I can deadlift, you know, 100 kilo, 140 kilos now, cool, I'm happy with that. Um, there's no point trying to go further or beyond that. Then I, I feel like in a year's time, you'll probably only be deadlifting 130. Um, but that's just <laughs> my own uh, feedback. But you're right. Like for those people who are maybe a little bit older, who have now got a young family and trying to grow a business or they've got a new job and they realize, okay, well, I'm never going to be the you know, Olympian that I had dreamed of when I was 20 years old or whatever it may be. And they now realize, okay, I can back off a little bit. Um, then yeah, that that's fine. And, and that's one thing I really like about the HRV app is you can see the trends. And if someone does turn around and say, okay, yeah, I really want to pick it up now. Um, I can just monitor those trends and I can be like, all right, you know, you've done four weeks of, you know, five sessions a week training. Now. Um, you're, your averages have dropped off big time. Let, let's let's slow it down for a little bit now. And I've got some data to present to them and they can see the numbers for themselves. And it's not just the coach trying to say, no, you're doing too much or you're not doing enough, you know, as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's finding that sweet um, sweet spot is, is always tricky. But uh, thankfully with tools and like your app and uh, blood testing and whatnot, you can, um, it does help um, give like more accurate and educate, educated uh uh, feedback I guess uh, but it, real quick as well sorry one other thing real quick is in regards to that maintenance training I, I don't know if you read that article I put together um, after paleo FX, which was a write-up of how I was only doing 15-20 minutes of training a week and um, for about six seven months in the build-up to paleo FX, and that was using the high intensity super slow training I don't know if you've heard of Doug McGuff before yeah definitely yeah, yeah and I when I uh, worked with Keith Norris there in yeah. Austin and San Antonio area at Efficient Exercise. We basically took a lot of plays out of that playbook. So yeah, right. Definitely familiar with it. So that that's what I was doing. Like that was something I wanted to experiment with because here I was, this guy who had always done massive volume, whether it was powerlifting or bodybuilding or, or whatever it was. Um, you know, I was so used to doing big sets and two-hour sessions or three-hour sessions in powerlifting and multiple training sessions a week and everything. And then when you, I stumbled upon his book and listened to a few of his podcasts and he was saying, you know, 15, 20 minutes a week, that's all you need. Sometimes even once a fortnight, I was like, what the hell, this, this can't be right. But then with a lot of my clients, I was like, well, this could be perfect. You know, they're so busy and some of them don't really care that much about training and don't really like going to the gym, but they want the benefits from it. So that's why I started that experiment. I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. And um, it was only going to be for two or three months and then I actually got really busy with my own work and everything so I, I just embraced it I was like you know what I'm gonna do this for until I get bored or until something needs to change and that took me up to that paleo FX and that's why I wasn't going to compete because I was like well I haven't done a deadlift 
or a squat in months and I haven't really done anything in a long time. <laughs> and then, you know, it turned out that here I was, I was still had all the strength in the world, still had the um, muscular endurance as well. So it kind of surprised me and it just proved that, okay, yeah, this is a viable training um, method. And so now when I have people that just say, all right, well, I just want to maintain or I just want to, you know, maximize benefits without putting in too much effort, I just put in this training program, I put in this particular training program. And not to say there's not much effort because the sessions are very, very brutal, <laughs> very intense, very painful, oh, but yeah. it's, it, it's, it's 15 but minutes. Short. Yeah, and and then you're done, and you're done for the week, and uh, so that's what a lot of my clients are doing now as well. And the same concept applies there in regards to you know just maintaining, right? Because with that particular program, like let's say you're doing a particular a row and you're trying to hold 100 kilos for 90 seconds, you know anyone that's done the program will will understand it. If not, just Google super slow training. You can watch a video. If you go into the next week's lift and think, all right, I just want to maintain. I just need to hit that same number. Generally, I found with my own training and with my clients that you'll miss that number and you will start going backwards. So I never tell my clients to just, you know, try equal last week's number or the previous number. I always say, look, try and improve it because even if it's only by half a second or one second, that slight improvement will just keep you moving forward rather than falling backwards. At least that's my experiences. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's the beauty of that program, right, is that the the incremental changes can be so small but then like you said over time you just continue to make progress time and time again and like you said six or seven months of that leading up to paleo effects and then you went in and did body weight deadlifts <laughs> over over 60 of them in two minutes so <laughs> my my colleagues um personal training colleagues thought I signed up to another gym because you know I used to train all the time you know four five six sessions a week and then all of a sudden I was coming in and I was in and out with it within 30 minutes like you'd literally be done in 15 minutes have a quick shower sometimes I wouldn't even shower because you didn't even break a sweat and uh they were you know they were giving me so much flack they're like where where, where are you training across the road are you training in the park what are you doing you know and I was like no seriously I'm only doing this once a week and um they just didn't believe it so it was, it was kind of funny yeah, and that's that's actually kind of my go-to as well whenever I'm kind of busy or in like we travel a lot, which we're looking forward to actually settling down after two years straight of travel um, in January. So that'll be exciting. But yeah, when I can, I, I go in and get a really short, but, uh, you know, slow, lots of time under tension session, kind of super slow-esque and um, but let's kind of bring it back around. One of the things that in the in the Facebook group, now you're uh, active in our Elite HRV Facebook group, which is great. I appreciate that. You've been known to tell people that you don't use the daily indicators that much in HRV and that you like to look at the weekly trends and other trends more. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because that's... I. I just love seeing different ways that people use it. And I think that you're using it very effectively. So I'd love people to hear that. Yeah. So I, it's funny, like when I first started using HRV, uh, I, I, I didn't really want to believe it. I was like, no, it's just, it's just some random 
algorithm and what does it mean? It can't be that accurate. And I just want to train. You know, it was telling me it was, I was overtraining or I was in the red. And I was like, no, today's meant to be a big squat day. Like, I'm, I'm just going to ignore it. And, and then, of course, um, you start <laughs> correlating your training program, which may have been a lot more volume or a lot more intense than, than usual. And then you'd look at your HRV trends and you're like, okay, well, there is a bit of correlation there. And then, of course, you'd back off and you'd start seeing your HRV improving. So, um, yeah, I, I really like the data and again after using hrv elite hrv for a couple of years like i've got so much data and i can see so many trends on there which is amazing the thing with the morning readiness and again this is more for i personally use it every day because the the morning readiness function because i try to be very consistent when i take my measurements like i know i get up and then i um drink a glass of water and then i lie on the couch and i put my the h7 polar strap on and and take my reading i do that 90% of the time every day. Like sometimes I might go to the toilet beforehand, right? And um, and I know consistency is the key for, for those readings. However, with my clients, like I work with a lot of clients who have families or they do a lot of traveling with work or, you know, some of them are stockbrokers working all hours and they live very, what's the word? They, they live lifestyles that don't have that much consistency, especially mm-hmm. compared to like my sort of life, right? So I know the importance of consistency with those HRV readings. And I know, you know, even doing it half an hour later than usually would, or maybe you, you had to go upstairs to, I don't know, put the get your children up for some reason and, and then oh I haven't done my HIV so I better do it now and just walking up those stairs is going to have a massive impact on your HIV score so I actually disable um, the morning readiness score for a lot of my clients for this reason because that slight um, inconsistency can drastically throw off the morning readiness and then people turn around and be like well how reliable is the HIV data um, if, if there is that inconsistency and, and I always think, and I, I see it in the data anyway, is those slight inconsistencies kind of wash out over the medium to long term. So sure, you know, you may get up one morning and you forget to do the HRV and so you do it an hour later, which isn't great. Or sure, you, you have to get up a little bit earlier because you've got an early flight and so your HRV is a little bit out. But over time, most of those sort of wash out. Um, and that's why I personally as a coach like looking at the trends because – if you have had a really crazy month, whether it was work stress, family stress, um, training stress, whatever it is, it is going to show up in those trends, right? And that's what I want to see. Whereas the morning readiness, like, you know, some of my clients don't get a chance to go to the gym much or they are so busy that, you know, they literally can't get to the gym more than once a week. And if I have that function on and they wake up and that was the day they were going to go to the gym and then they they find that their morning readiness score is red and it's saying, you know, slow down, don't do much today, then they may be like, oh, well, perhaps I shouldn't train. You know, it was my one shot in the week to go to the gym. And that's why I don't really um, use it that much. But again, I think context is everything. And if I was working with, say, someone who was very serious about their performance and was very particular with their routine and, you know, they could take their readings every morning like clockwork, then sure, I'd probably use that. And if they were training multiple times a week, and you know a couple of sessions were lighter sessions and a couple of sessions were more intense sessions and they had some flexibility with their programming and all that then sure that that can be very um useful but for average joe the corporates who i wanted them to move and i don't want to scare them off you know like from training because they see a red score i personally just find that it's better if that's switched off and then we just focus on the the trends 
Yeah, and that's that's powerful stuff. I, that, I appreciate you sharing that because that's basically the reason why we added in that feature anyways with the ability to hide the morning readiness score if you're on a, a team, which it actually it originated from sports teams because the coach just or the trainer, whoever on the sports team basically didn't want the athletes to see their morning score because it would then affect their, you know, potentially psychologically affect them yes. for their performance that day. And, uh, and they're almost kind of in the opposite group, which is the fact that they probably train every day and possibly multiple times a day. And then they have weekly or, or frequent competitions. And so, yeah, it's, uh, definitely if you're in the hands of a, of somebody who knows what they're doing, I, I recommend that folks turn off that morning readiness as well for the most part. Yes. Um, but, but it does require then don't want to shoot myself in the foot or whatever when yeah. I say that, because it does require you to actually look at the data and, totally. and take the place of that, uh, indicator. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's bang on. And that's something that even I like personally, even though I use the morning readiness, if I plan on doing a big session that morning or that day and I see it's red, and I'm like, I want to train today and like maybe I've got the weekend off or something. I'll, I'll still go train despite the app telling me not to. But the key takeaway is every week or every month and I'm consistently looking at my trends. And if I keep making those decisions to train big when it's telling me it's red and then I pull up the trends at the end of the week or end of the month and I see like my trends have just dropped big time, then I know, okay, yeah, I've got to, I've got to make some changes here. Maybe I shouldn't be doing those trainings on red days, but yeah, the data is very, very useful. It's just how you use it. Right. And personally, I just lean more towards the trends than the, the daily fluctuations. Yeah, that's awesome. And so kind of coming back to what you said earlier about folks who have gut dysbiosis and and other possibly circadian rhythm disruption and things like that, when you uh, do that session or when you go through that period of four to six weeks or, you know, obviously it depends on the client, but uh, a period of time when they're not really exercising and you're just addressing whether it's food intolerances or gut dysbiosis, uh, do you see changes in their HRV trends for, throughout that? I do. Uh, I see a lot, of, a lot of change. I mean, it's tricky though, because generally I will start, they will start tracking their HRV when they start making all these changes. So it all happens, gotcha. you know, at the same time, some people are a little bit more prepared and they'll start tracking HRV a week or two before, um, my program sort of kicks off officially. And that's what I try to get them to do. So it can form a bit of a baseline, but yeah, it's like all the stuff happening at once. So it is tricky to say, oh, okay, well that's causing this, you know, th- that correlation is hard to see. And again, there are so many changes. It's not just like, all right, we're going to start on a gut reset program where we're going to heal the gut because at the same time we're also cutting back on training and I'm also emphasizing the importance of sleep and then I'm also I don't know maybe changing their carb intake and they also do a 30-day no alcohol um, challenge at the start as well because you know here in Australia and New Zealand drinking the drinking culture is insane Um, so that (laughs) that itself could have a massive impact on HRV and and fat loss and and maybe that is a big reason behind the, the initial gains that the clients have but yeah i definitely see improvement but 
whether it's one of, I don't know what variable it is. And um, it's always interesting though, when some of those things start coming back into their life, like, you know, the alcohol after 30 days that you may see a little bit of a, a negative impact on the HRV scores. And I have seen, you know, data where clients go on holiday and they're drinking big every night and you just see like a massive <laughs> drop off. And, and then of course, you know, when I send that to the clients, cause I send a weekly review to my clients, which gives them a breakdown on their diet, their sleep, their steps and HIV is a part of that as well. And, and I'm pretty much straight up with them. I'm just like, look, you know, I know you had a wedding or I know you went to Vegas for the week, whatever it may be, but look at the damage that happened. Um, you know, okay, that was good. And I hope you enjoy yourself, but Monday we're, we're back on track and, and they, they see that data and they're like, okay, shit. Yeah. Okay. There was something, something to this. So, uh, <laughs> time to get back on, on the program. <laughs> yeah, that's great. No, it's, uh, I mean, do you get pushback on that because, uh, and maybe not pushback or maybe just people not wanting you to see quite, uh, so deeply into their lives or do the clients that you work with typically stay pretty open? <laughs> um, it's funny because yeah, like <laughs> I'm tracking so many, so many things, uh, so many variables. Um, but I mean, as an online program, as an online coach, like that's the only way it works, right? Um, you don't get to see them every day in the gym. You don't get to feel their, how firm their handshake is, you know, like one day the, you know, generally they may have a firm handshake and and then you come in one day and they look like a wreck and they shake your hand. You're like, dude, we're, we're not training today. We're going to back off, right? Like you don't get all those feedback mm-hmm. cues. So you need, or well, I need some form of feedback to make, you know, informed decisions and help them achieve their goals. And so, yeah, that's why they wear an aura ring or a Fitbit and that's why I'm tracking their sleep and that's why I'm tracking their HIV and that's why they're taking photos of their meals because without that feedback, like it's just, they might as well just read a book and follow a program from the book, right? Um, my value add to them, I guess, as an online coach, and I'd like to think this is true for all online coaches, is being able to track and monitor as much as possible and then comment and adjust and give them feedback and advice based on what I'm seeing. So, um, yeah, I mean... Some people, look, most people, I make it as clear as possible going into it. Like this is what's going to happen. And this is what you'll need to do. And these are the requirements. Um, and I I score them based on um, how many, if they're logging things, right? So there's a accountability aspect there. And I use software called uh, Stick, uh, S-T-I-C-K-K. It's like a um, commitment contract they sign. So I score them each week. If they've logged, you know, two meals a day at least, um, if they've walked, you know, 8,000 steps a day, if they've tracked their HRV six out of seven days, if they've trained at least twice a week, whatever it is, um, I'll give them points. And then each week they get a score, you know, out of 20. And I have like five or 10 clients at a time going through this. So then I'll send out a leaderboard and they can see where they're sitting. And if they don't score a particular amount of points, then that commitment contract, they actually have to pay, um, you know, a friend or, uh, you can set up a anti-charity. So maybe like you can set up a, a rival sports team. And if you don't hit, you know, 70% in your weekly score, then $50 a week goes to like, you know, Manchester United, like the, the team you, you despise or something like that. Right. So that, <laughs> that helps keep them motivated. I've built in many layers of, um, accountability here. So you've got the social aspect because that's every week, every Sunday, they're going to get that leadership score. So they're going to say, okay, well, I was rock bottom this week. That's kind of embarrassing. So that's, one aspect um the second one is that stick um commitment contract 
And so that helps keep them logging the meals when they don't really want to. And that helps keep them tracking their HRV, even if they personally don't really care about the data because I know how important it is. So that's what I built into my programs. And uh, occasionally someone's like, look, Alex, like I'm just sick of whatever, wearing this Fitbit or wearing the aura ring, I'm not going to track my steps or sleep. And and I'll just tell them, look, that's perfectly cool. Just understand the consequences. Um, you know, there's the commitment contract side of things, but then there's also things like I can't see that data and that data is useful for me as a coach to help you get the results you want. And if they're cool with that, if they understand the consequences and stuff, then cool. Like I, I can't force them into doing anything. So Generally, I find the more the person gives, the more likely that they are to get their results. Nice. Yeah. And I was just going to say, is there any, is there like a line in the sand that you draw for that? Is there a minimum that you require people to track in order to participate in the program? Yeah. So (laughs) I track lots. Uh, I track. So if I run through everything, I track their meals. I've got an app called uh, Hey Coach which I'll be releasing to other coaches next year sometime. And so that's just something like Instagram for coaches, right? So the the client takes a photo of their meal and it goes into a newsfeed and, and then the coach so myself can like score that meal. So out of five stars, you know, so if it's a really good meal based on the criteria, I set them, give them five stars. And, and that's a bit of a community, like a Facebook feed as well. So everyone can see all the other meals and stuff. So they're doing that for the meals. And then of course I log on every morning and see what people have been eating and I give them feedback. It might be like, Hey, that was great, John, but, uh, you don't need two chicken breasts, you know, one, one's more than enough. And then he'll, he'll see that feedback straight away. And the next time he has that meal, we'll be like, okay, cool. Like again, it's feedback, right? And if I didn't have that um, photo aspect or meal logging aspect, like if he was just keeping a, a diary and we caught up once a month and he was like, oh, I had chicken and salad. Okay, great. Chicken and salad, great. But I wouldn't have seen the fact that it was two chicken breasts and the salad was covered in like mayonnaise or something. You know what I mean? So that it's the whole right. adventure tells a thousand words. And then um, I'm tracking their steps every day. I'm tracking their sleep. I'm tracking their HRV, I'm tracking their training. So in that Hey Coach app as, as well, they tick off once they've done a strength training. They tick off once they've done an interval training. They tick off once I've done like a, a soft session, like a yoga or a Pilates. They tick them off. And so every week I get a report saying who's done what, and then I can score them and give them feedback on that. Um, they Then there's other lifestyle things as well. So I want them to get outside every day and they tick that off once I've done it. And then there's also actually a homework educational piece of the program. So I actually want them to, I've built a 52 week um, program where every week I introduce a topic. It may be something like fats, the importance of fats, or maybe something like the importance of sleep or whatever it is. And then there's a bit of reading and maybe a documentary for them to watch. And and I want them to leave a bit of a comment or at least acknowledge that they've read it. And um, I score them on that as well. So there's many components it's not just here's a diet plan and here's a training program go nuts like it's there's a lot to it and um and uh as a result you know there are a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of work for clients but at the end of it they've learned so much and um they've got so much feedback along the way that you know it's very hard not to get (laughs) results if you're following it wow yeah i mean you really defining uh what a partnership is between coach and client and it's not just a one-way street where the coach uh gets no feedback and the client learns nothing and the the coach just says 
do this plan and the client has no input or no feedback or anything like that, what you're sounds like you've done a fantastic job of really getting a two-way street going with your clients and getting them to buy into their own health situation. Um, so that's fantastic. Thanks. Um, yeah. So do you, are there kind of coming back to that uh, question a little bit, is, is there like a, a minimum level uh, or uh, do people have to track their food? For example, do they have to take HRV um, or can they just say, uh, Hey, Hey coach, no, uh, Hey Alex, um, just, just tell me what workouts to do and what to eat. And then otherwise don't talk to me. Is there, is there, <laughs> is there that version of the plan? Um, look, generally like my big coaching program, um, which I've been sort of talking about in the last 20 minutes or so, um, that's a year long program and it's a big commitment, like financially time, you know, everything. So most people, you know, it's, it's a bit of a process, a selection process. It's a two-way thing. Like they need to make sure that they um, understand what they're getting into and everything and need to be happy with it. And I need to make sure that they are a good match. Like I don't want people just coming on board and then two weeks later being like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to take photos of my meals or I'm not going to do all these things because it reflects badly on me. Like they're more likely to fail in terms of getting the results. And then of course that ruins my reputation. Oh, okay, well, this guy followed my program for a couple of weeks, then he dropped out and, you know, it leaves a, a bad taint on, on my program and stuff as well. So I'm quite selective and I've turned down people. If they say to me, oh, look, I don't want to do all this stuff, then I'll be like, okay, well, this isn't for you. And maybe just go buy this ebook that I've created, which has like a bit of an overview or go read these articles. So generally, yeah, no, if someone doesn't want to do all that, then, then no. However, I do offer like, um, program delivery. Like I've built a lot of programs and whatnot um, through all my powerlifting and bodybuilding years. So sometimes people just want, you know, my PT clients, they may have just want a, a training program and they don't want all the coaching aspect and they don't have the finances to pay for it as well. Plus they don't want a one-year commitment you know maybe they have a wedding in three months um so yeah i can i can help them out but of course like i'll make it very clear like look you're not going to be getting all these other things that i've spoke about online or in, in podcasts or you may have heard from your friends and um and i guess the price component reflects that as well but some people again like if it's a 25 year old guy that just wants to put on muscle and he's eating you know four thousand calories a day and all he wants is a training program then yeah i can help him out um it's just not really what i'm that's not the path I'm going down in terms of my own coaching. Like I've kind of found my niche product and my niche market. And um, if people don't want that, then there's many other coaches out there that will cater for them. Nice. Yeah. That's an important, it's um, you've obviously got a, a thriving business going. And like, I think for other people, if they may be thinking about having a coaching business or working with a coach, then they may not understand that, coaches sometimes go through like an evolution where you say yes. I mean, all entrepreneurs go through this, I imagine, but uh, you say yes to basically everybody at first and to, until you kind of build up a critical mass and like a, a business that you find your niche, like you said, and then you have to learn when to start saying no and your business actually uh, ends up doing so much better when you get to that point. Um, Yes. So, yeah, we're we're, uh, we're trying to take that to heart on the HRV side as well, <laughs> because heart rate variability, as you can imagine, is applicable in so many different fields that 
uh, early on when we were first growing, everybody wanted to, everyone wanted to integrate, everyone wanted to do something very specific with HRV. And we initially saying, oh yes, great, everything, everybody everywhere. And then realized that we were doing a whole lot of uh, not finishing and not, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, that's a, I'll, uh, <laughs> digressed a bit there, but let's, let's loop back around a little bit to ketogenic diets, which you mentioned earlier, uh, that your body temperature, uh, was affected by your ketogenic experimentations. First question is basically a yes or no question. <laughs> Do you use ketogenic diets with clients? No. Okay. And second is that it's not to say that you'll never do that. It's just you don't currently, right? And um, the second is I know you've been experimenting with ketogenic diet for a while off and on or cyclically and then also more strictly for periods of time. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, look, I competed uh, in bodybuilding and powerlifting following like a cyclical low carb diet. John Kiefer, his carb backloading, carb night diets. That's pretty much mm -hmm. what I used. Um, I used that to get down to 5% body fat and I won my first two bodybuilding competitions using that diet when everyone's eating chicken and broccoli. You know, I was having bacon and eggs and butter. Um, sure, I was still calorie restricted and I was working like working in fasting and whatnot, like all those sort of things. But yeah, I, I was doing that with maybe weekly refeeds, powerlifting. Um, it was more of a carb backloading diet. So these diets are where you're following a low carb diet, um, not ketogenic by any means, um, just just um, you know, I wasn't tracking protein counts or anything like that. And I wasn't even tracking ketones or anything as well. I was just cutting up carbs, you know, and maybe have some, some broccoli or whatever that had a few grams of carbs in it. And that was fine. So I'd, I'd do that. And then when I was powerlifting on a carb backloading diet after training in the afternoon, you know, I'd come home and I'd just eat two, 300, 400, even grams of carbs. So no means wow. ketogenic, no means like a um, low carb diet, even, you know, some of the days I was drinking, and I still do now, I was drinking two liters of milk and having, um, you know, a couple of bananas and, and a massive bowl of rice. And and that's what I did for a couple of years. But then if you looked at it, like 80, 90% of the time, I was carbs deprived. Like you know, I was on a low carb diet, right? Like, so you get up and, you know, bacon and eggs without carbs, lunch, maybe your leftovers without carbs, train, and then post-training, you'd slam the carbs. So that's what I was doing for a couple of years. So I consider myself like, following more of a lower carb diet um despite some of those big carb refeeds a couple of times a week and uh been doing that successfully for years and you know kept a good body fat level um you know always set around eight nine ten maybe eleven percent body fat and i just sort of manipulate the carb intake depending on my goals if i was trying to put on some size then i'd have the carbs every night if i was trying to lean up a little bit then maybe i'd only have a carb meal once or twice a week um so that and what was the real quick, what was the training volume like during that time? So when I was powerlifting, I was training probably about four times a week. A typical session would be anything from 90 minutes to three hours. Um, but powerlifting is very, if you, it's very strength focused. So you're doing five minute rest between sets. You know, you, you have an attempt at say your 220 squat or your 250 squat or whatever it was. And then you may be waiting like I, I trained at a gym where, where we had little couches set up and magazines and coffee tables. So you do your set and <laughs> yeah. you'd literally go sit down and, and read an article, you know, so it was like 10 minutes or so and then you'd go to another one. So that's why it was a three hour session. It wasn't like 
CrossFit wad for three hours, you know. Um, so th- that was when I was powerlifting. And uh, yeah, again, I, I I didn't really count carbs or anything. I just had a shake afterwards with some glucose in it and more addiction or whatever, and then go home and cook dinner and have rice. And then I'd have dessert, which would be, you know, milk and maybe some creamed rice or something as well. And that was just typical, right? And I'd only really fine tune it when I was coming into a comp if I needed to lose a bit of weight or otherwise I wouldn't really care. But then when I was um, bodybuilding, my volume increased drastically. Like I was doing four to six sessions a week and that was more your typical hypertrophy training, you know, 60 minutes, 60 to 90 second rest period, sometimes less, you know, 10 to 12 reps, supersets and all that. So those are pretty intense, you know, high glycolytic, um, training session so after that um, that's when I'd be slamming the carbs especially when I was you know off season I guess where I was trying to put on size um, I'd just I'd just eat all night <laughs> until I couldn't eat anymore <laughs> and to be honest I mean it was pretty stupid like I was probably overdoing it a little bit as well but again I got up to 105 kilos at my heaviest and I was I was still six pack abs um despite eating as much as possible um and then I started cutting down for the show and that was just simply cutting back on the carbs so that was a high training load and then after all that you know I just cut back like when I was doing that high intensity training uh I'd really only have carbs once a week maybe twice a week just because I was sitting at a desk most of the time during the day and then maybe a few PT sessions here and there but I wasn't that active so I just cut back on the carbs a little bit and again, I stayed lean and I lost maybe one or two kilos of, of size, which was nice. fine. And Sorry? That was during the super slow? Yeah, that was during the, the nine months super slow. I, I put together a whole article on that. So I can send you that article um, if anyone wants to read exactly what I did and how it all worked. Um, so yeah, that, so to answer your question, I know that I'm sort of going off on a tangent here. Uh, for years now, like six, seven, eight years, I've been following a lower carb diet and that sort of transitioned into a bit of a paleo primal sort of diet as well. Then I kept hearing about ketogenic diets and everything and I was like, oh yeah, this is one day I'll give it a go. And um and then I decided, you know what, like let's let's do it. Like this was about four or five months ago now. I was like, let's do it properly. Um, I'll test my ketones and a few clients were asking about it. So I was like, well look, I don't really have much experience about it. So I actually put together a few articles on it to help learn, you know, the ins and out of it. And I put together a whole article, you know, 24 benefits of ketogenic diets. And I just last week, I released a really 8,000 word comprehensive diet on um, uh, article on ketogenic diets, like all your questions, how to wow. test it, what it is. Um, like I spent probably six weeks writing that. So I was like, I'm going to do this properly. And I, I went 12 weeks strict keto. And, uh, you know, I was trying to keep my ketone levels above 0.5 millimoles, ideally above 1.0. And, um, yeah, so it was tons of fat, you know, and very, very little carbs, you know, like even my green veggies were were um, restricted, but also the protein restriction as well. So I was kind of fascinated because when I first got my ketone meter and I I woke up one morning, you know, I hadn't had carbs for about four or five days and I was like, oh, I must be well into ketosis now. And I was like 0.1, like wasn't even near ketosis. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> this is crazy. And um, I soon realized it was just due to how much protein I was eating. So I don't know if I really... In all those years following a lower carb diet, I was probably never really in true nutritional ketosis just due to how much protein I was eating and how frequently I was eating. So yeah, I started doing this ketogenic diet and I also started doing some longer fasts. So um, 
you know, I did a 72-hour fast and I was doing 24-hour fast every week and I was like really embraced the whole ketogenic world, you know, like uh, heaps of MCT oils. I never got into the supplements, but that was always on the list and um, something I may look into later on. And then around the same time, I started doing some rowing training again, like some aerobic training uh, using Phil Methatone's protocols. Mm -hmm. So his uh, like meth meth method, Um, so capped heart rate. So I was only going, I think it was 145 beats and lower. And I was doing, you know, I was rowing for an hour and a half some days, sometimes in a fasted state, right? Like I'd just get up and I'd, I'd go to these training sessions and I just loved it. Like I was, I felt, I felt amazing and uh, fitness was improving and everything was going good. And I was, I, I leaned up a little bit, which wasn't really a, a, um, an objective, but I noticed I lost a bit of muscle, uh, body fat, which is cool. Lost a bit of muscle as well. But again, like I thought that would happen given the amount of uh, training I was doing on the rowing machine. Right. And then as, as the weeks went on, like I just started to feel pretty rubbish to be honest. Um, like I was waking up sore and tired. Um, I was cold, which <laughs> never really happened. You know, my girlfriend was always the cold one and now I was sort of cuddling up to her in bed. And um, and then about six weeks into this experiment, my math score, my my rowing test that I do every two weeks, um, actually the performance started going backwards and that's when I was thinking, okay, this isn't right. Um, and I kept going for a while and then, yeah, I was getting the cold hands, cold feet. Um, libido was just rock bottom like just really dropped off and I was like okay this this isn't great um, and my HRV actually just just uh, hit a wall and just started going straight down and um, I posted a thread in the in your Facebook group and um, it was a really good thread there's a lot of a uh, lot of discussion and comments going on there and, and a few people said they've experienced same things with ketogenic diet and, and lots of training and um, look looking back yeah. Uh, I was I was silly because you know like I said I was doing hour and a half rows in a fasted state a couple times a week you know I was like I just want to maximize my aerobic capacity you know like really um, force my body to have to utilize fats and um, I think I, I I was too aggressive on that front and given the amount of training I was doing um, you know I I just don't think it was sensible firstly to to do it in such a fasted state, but also I don't think it was wise doing it without carbs for that duration, you know, like um, going six weeks or whatever it was without even having any carbs. So um, yeah, I ended up doing it for 12 weeks and then it was just getting ridiculous. Like I cut back training and that didn't have an impact on my HIV or how I felt. And I stopped training altogether for a couple of weeks, you know, and then all of a sudden one day I went, I was in the city and I walked home. It's like a 15 minute walk. And, um, I was just cramping and like I was having lots of salt and eating lots of organ meats and I was doing everything properly, like having bone broth every day. And, you know, I was, I was doing a very healthy in quotation marks, um, ketogenic diet. And yeah, I started walking out from the city one day and I, I just cramped so bad that, um, it took me probably 20 minutes to get the last like five, 10 minute walk home. Like I nearly caught a taxi. That's how much pain I was in. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, oh my gosh. Not, yeah. Something's not right. Like here I am 27, 28 meant to be healthy and stuff. And, and, uh, I went home that night and I just, um, I was around week 11, week 12 and I just cooked up some rice, had some sweet potato and, uh, have never looked back you know, in terms of, uh, <laughs> ketogenic diets and um straight away my hrv improved my resting heart rate which went from like 45 or something and then went all the way up to about 65 during this experiment came back down to 50s like in a matter of weeks my temperature you know like cold feet cold hands and all that that was all 
removed, I guess it was all fixed itself. Um, yeah, in a matter of weeks. And so that was probably two months ago. And since then, I've been pretty much having carbs every day. <laughs> nice. No, that's interesting. So, I mean, the ketogenic diet is got a lot of attention these days and uh, rightly so. I mean, it's got some really powerful applications for therapeutic use with cancer and with uh, a lot of other uh, goals and a lot of people actually subscribe to it for performance gains or fat mm-hmm. loss and other things. But I we've had a f- couple folks on the show, um, Alessandro Ferretti and yep. uh, the Plus and Prof, mm-hmm. uh, where we talked about ketogenic diets, and those guys seem to uh, have really dialed it in and been able to use it for high level endurance uh, athletic training as well as. Uh, just general health maintenance, fat loss. But I personally, my my wife and I both experienced the same as what you experienced um, when we went on a nutritional ketogenic diet and we were tracking blood ketones as well. Got those up over one millimole, closer to two in Mm -hmm. a lot of cases, most mornings. And our HRV it only took like three or four weeks for us for HRV to get in the tank. And it was the lowest that either one of us had yeah. ever scored in the history of us tracking HRV. Yeah. And we uh, reintroduced carbohydrates not too long after that, which we didn't have time to do a 12 week ketogenic diet because we had some travel coming up. Yeah. Um, but we did a solid four weeks and, and we, when we reintroduced carbs, HRV returned back to normal. My uh, wife, Alyssa's headaches went away. Her energy came back. And of course, blood ketones uh, became non-existent after that when we started eating carbohydrates again. But um, one of the things that we found out for me personally was that I had some gallbladder issues that may have been kind of just continued on from a long time ago or or something, but the the massive amount of fat that I was eating, um, and obviously the right. gallbladder plays a significant role in in uh, the digestion of fat. Is uh, it kind of pulled the plug on the drain or whatever, and I started having all this gallbladder pain, and ended up having to do a gallbladder <laughs> cleanse, uh, which. I won't get into the details on this. I'll maybe have to do a write-up about it, but it was there was a whole lot of stuff that was not supposed to be in my body that came oh, wow. out from that gallbladder cleanse. Were and you my taking... fat metabolism actually... Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, were you taking digestive enzymes throughout the ketogenic diet or, or not? I was, yes. And, um, and so that actually, I was at first really confused. I thought that when I was taking the digestive enzymes that they were causing some, um, they were causing the pain because I would take them and then eat and like immediately get, or within 20 minutes, I'd get pain in my, near my liver and, uh, which I, at the time I, I didn't even gallbladder wasn't on my radar really. Uh, for that. So I was thinking that, you know, if you take digestive enzymes, the the recommendation, depending on where you get it, is to kind of start with one, then add another one uh, after a few meals to see, and then basically stop if you start to feel like warmth in your belly yeah. um, and kind of cut it back a little bit from there. So you're trying to find like how many enzymes you need to without overdoing it. 
and I was I I was down to just one with a meal, and I was getting this like burning sensation in my stomach, and I thought, man, these enzymes are killing me. So <laughs> I I cut the digestive enzymes out, um, and the pain didn't go away. Um, and then, long story short, I did a bunch of research on fat metabolism and. Of course, I had already been doing that type of stuff, but uh, looking at the problems with it and uh, isolated that the gallbladder seemed to be my issue, did a gallbladder cleanse and probably hundreds of gallstones came out. Holy. Uh, and which it sounds crazy, um, especially if people kind of relate that to like kidney stones, but it's it's not quite the same and they're quite small, um, and supposedly it's quite common for people to have gallbladder stones. Um, but they're <laughs> uh, the problem with them is that when you eat a ton of fat and your gallbladder is aggressively trying to excrete the bile that it's storing for, from your liver, um, the stones uh, can get lodged in the valve essentially and then cause like a blockage of bile at the gallbladder and wow. um yeah so it can cause a lot of pain you've got this blockage in your gallbladder or or just below it in the process and then you've got so your liver's working your gallbladder's working and uh you're not digesting the fat well enough and anyways after the cleanse i did a bit of experimentation with eating some ketogenic meals. Um, it wasn't long enough to really affect ketones, but it was uh, ultra high fat, ultra low carb, moderate protein meals. And it was so much better. Um, I didn't even realize that before the ketogenic diet, I was having some mild discomfort when I was eating like a massive pile of bacon and nothing else to really kind of spread it out. Mm. Um, and I was like, uh, which I guess we'll have to, uh, I'll have to, again, I've digressed a bit, but, um, take a step back and, and let folks know that I don't just eat massive piles of bacon for every <laughs> meal and, and that I do a lot of testing similar to Alex. And I'm sure folks have, uh, kind of caught on to that by now if they're listening to the podcast, but, um, I do a lot of experimentation and testing to see what happens and, I didn't even realize that some of that discomfort that I might have been experiencing was just gallbladder dysfunction. And now that I've done a concerted effort at kind of boosting my uh, liver health and gallbladder health and getting rid of all those gallstones, I'm going to try to give the ketogenic diet another shot and see if my outcome is a little bit different. Yeah, wow. That's that's intense. <laughs> Yeah, it was very intense. And, um, and so coming back to what you mentioned about uh, your post in the Facebook group and how Alessandro provided some really great insight, I'm going to be definitely picking his brain when I go through it again uh, to see, you know, he's, yeah. he mentioned in a lot of cases, there's really specific things for individuals that can really throw the ketogenic diet uh, for a loop. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating because um, I've since done a lot of reading on this topic and uh, on ketogenic diets. And again, like six months, six months ago, you know, I was all for ketogenic diets and that's why 
I did this big experiment and I put together that article, 24 benefits of ketogenic diets. You know, I looked at all the studies and stuff and there's a lot of research, like you said, towards benefits. But at the same time now, I'm starting to see a lot of people have similar experiences, you know, like libido, drop off, um, uh, temperature and stuff, thyroid issues. You know, Ben Greenfield, he did a big um, experiment with ketogenic and Ironman. And since then, he's never been back into it. You know, he's consistently had the carbs and stuff. And if you look at, um, I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Danny Roddy, but he, um, he's got a few YouTube videos and he, he explains how ketosis is like a metabolic stress like it's a stress on the body and it makes perfect sense i mean when would we hit uh, ketosis in an ancestral sort of natural environment i guess the only times would be one when we're going without food like in a state of prolonged fasting which is obviously mm-hmm. has some benefits as you know and again I've, I've talked about that on my blog but also is it's not necessarily um, something you want to be doing every day or like long term. I mean, um, it's you're going without food, right? So you're, you're telling the body, you're signaling the body it's in a state of stress and, and that's one aspect. But the second time it would happen in a natural um, environment, I guess, is when you're in a location um, that's deprived of carbohydrates. So, you know, this may be due to extreme weather, you know, like seasonal um, issues. Or maybe you're living in a climate, you know, high latitude, um, you know, like the Inuit Eskimos or something where there is not much vegetation growing, um, uh, growing, right? And so all of those situations or both those situations are rather extreme um, environments, right? right? And so that's what brings on ketosis in a, in a natural state. And that's why, like, I'm starting to think that maybe, you know, it's, it's good that we have these mechanisms in place because without it, like, if we had a bad summer or bad winter and there wasn't any <laughs> corn or rice or whatever or fruit growing, then, yeah, we'd drop dead. Um, or if we went, you know, two days without food for whatever reason, we'd drop dead. So without, like, these mechanisms, um, we wouldn't live. So yeah, it's very important, but I'm starting to think that I don't know if it's, uh, beneficial or wise to do it on a longer term basis. Um, just like you wouldn't do three day fast, you know, every four days or something. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you look into the work of Danny Roddy and, and and even look, you know, there's a lot of work, a lot of articles on, um, thyroid health and, and, and ketogenic diets and stuff. And, you know, a lot of people say, no, it's okay. Like it's, it's okay for the thyroid to slow down a little bit, T3 to drop down. And if you're having lots of organ meats and lots of salt, it's okay. Um, but I don't know if it is. And, you know, the argument is that, okay, well, your metabolism slows down, but that, that prolongs life and all that. Okay, maybe there's some truth to that. But then there's also another camp of thought out there who say a higher metabolism is actually linked to longevity. And, and um, so that's really interesting as well. So, but the key takeaway for me was that lower thyroid function or that the negative consequences of the ketogenic diet produced you know, a suboptimal state of well-being, right? Like my libido was low, my body temperature was low, I was achy, I was lethargic. Um, so even if there are some health benefits, you know, in terms of lower cancer and stuff like that, do you really want to live in that state of, I don't know, like sluggishness? Um, and, and again, and I, I spoke to someone recently about this and he was saying, this is his just opinion, but he was saying like that ketogenic state is a state of, okay, there's not much food in the environment, um, slow down. You know, it's a state of mild hibernation for, for humans. Um, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, you think about it, in a state of mild hibernation, you're not going to want to 
run around and have sex with everything you see and, you know, go hunting and all that. You just want to sort of sleep and sit in your cave by a warm fire, right? Like that, that makes perfect sense. And that's kind of what I started experimenting, experiencing um, with my experiment, even though I was doing all that training as well. But given all that, given all those reasons now, um, I'm sort of distancing myself from, well, not distancing myself from it. I just know that I'm in no hurry to try it again because I just feel so much better now eating regular carb, carb consumption. And, and I'm glad I did it as well because a few clients were asking me, oh, what about ketogenic? What about ketogenic? And I'm, I just think, no, like I'm getting really good results with a, a lower carb cyclical approach without going deep into ketogenic um, that there's no point, you know, potentially doing more harm. Um, and, yeah, and yeah, definitely. I mean, if, if what you've got going on is working, um, and of course we're always going to be tinkering over time. And a couple thoughts on that is that, so I, in an interview on, I, I, the thyroid summit, I believe with Rob Wolf, uh, yeah. uh, was interviewed by Dr. Amy Myers and he was mentioning in that, or maybe it was the keto summit. I apologize. I can't remember which one, but and uh, I'll, I'll look it up and include it in the show notes. But either way, he was mentioning that in his experience or research that it appears to be just the entering into ketosis or just the ketogenesis, the genesis of ketogenesis that mm-hmm. seems to be where most of the benefit comes from and that right. prolonged staying in ketogenic in uh, a ketogenic state doesn't seem to add much value on top of just getting into it. So that kind of comes back to the cyclic nature of a true ketogenic diet um, and maybe carb cycling and things like that. Yeah. Uh, And I think you could apply that to so many things as well. I mean, fasting as well, like the benefits of, of fasting can usually be seen in 12 to 16 hours, right? So that's all you really need. You know, you can still eat every day to get the benefits of fasting, but you don't need to go weeks without food. Um, Same as training, like we touched on this earlier. You can get benefits from strength training in a 15-minute session once a week. And there are a ton of benefits there, but does that mean you need to train twice a day every day to get the benefits? No, you're probably doing more harm than good. So I think it's definitely um, less is more and sometimes don't overdo it to – to get don't take things to an extreme i guess that's that's the key message yeah and there's a bell curve for everything right yeah uh in most cases and yeah the other thing too with the the ketogenic aspect of it because uh again we've had three folks on the podcast that are really big proponents of a ketogenic application and they're super knowledgeable on the subject. So I'm going to keep picking their brain on it and maybe get them back in here to talk more about it. But uh, part of what we discussed uh, and Alessandro mentioned is that you actually don't want high levels of blood ketones all the time when you're on a ketogenic diet because similar to blood glucose, if you're using glucose for fuel or ketones for fuel, you don't really want a ton of it just floating around in your blood all the time. You just want enough to perform whatever tasks that you're performing and then you want it to be relatively low the rest of the time um so that that was one interesting point uh from from one of those discussions and then the other kind of comes back around to uh, my story about my gallbladder is uh being really efficient at using fat for fuel and uh ketones for fuel is something that i kind of want to continue to explore and do periodic ketogenic spurts for to understand that a little bit better about myself, but 
Um, yeah. So did you have anything else on the ketogenic or I have uh, another question for you? No, I think, uh, I think we covered that uh, well and truly comprehensively. Yeah. And, you know, for folks listening, I'm going to put links to your blog and to some of your posts that you've done about the ketogenic diet and other stuff that we've talked about. So that'll all be in the show notes. And uh, so the next thing I had was uh, we've talked a lot about various aspects of health and performance, whether it's blood uh, hormone levels. And um, we've we've touched a little on sleep, although I know sleep's a big, uh, big one for you as well. What would you consider out of all the areas that you do with your clients, kind of the one thing that makes the biggest impact hands down on with most of your clients? Oh, one thing. Um, hmm, that's... Uh... <laughs> Um, we okay. can, so, I'll give you a chance cause that was, that was out of left field. So I can give you a chance to uh, think about that for a minute and we can talk more about the sleep aspect that we haven't really touched on as much. All right. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's not, I'm going to answer your question. I think the biggest okay. thing is simply, and this is a, it's a broad, broad stroke here, but, um, match up your living lifestyle uh training um your life i guess with your natural environment as much as possible so what do i mean by this um when it's dark you know go to sleep when it's light get outside get some sunlight when um you know uh, move as much as you can like don't just sit in a man-made chair behind a screen all day like live in a natural world right like move walk outside walk bare feet ground um, experience temperature fluctuations, like occasionally go outside when it's cold or jump in some cold water. Likewise with the heat, you know, maybe go in a sauna now and then. I mean, it's all the stress, but it's, it's a uh, hormetic stress, right? Um, and then use the body, you know, like again, trying to use that natural sort of principle here. Um, we're designed to move. Um, we have muscles that can do amazing things like every now and then, like use them, you know, sprint or, or lift some weights. Um, the same thing, switch off, reconnect with nature, like, um, go to the beach, go for a walk through the forest. Don't, you know, use your phone or like try avoid non-native EMF. Um, you know, all, all these things that I know that's a lot of, uh, a lot of little sub uh, subsections in there, but the mm-hmm. over the underlying sort of key focus is um just try live as a, a natural life as possible. Um, same with diet as well. You know, like don't get too caught up in ketogenic and low carb and high carb and whatever fasting and all that. Just just do the basics. You know, eat what your grandma would eat, like natural foods, like a hundred years ago, fifty years ago, whatever it may be. Um, if you do all those basic things, um, sleep, you know, focus on your sleep, move, do some, uh, stressful movement now and then go outside, eat a good diet. Um, you, you're 80% of the way there in terms of general health and, and, and wellness. And it's only when you have either big health issues or serious performance goals that you really need to like you know, uh, fine tune training programs and diets and supplementations and, and that. But for most people, and this is what I work with, most people like just want to look and feel good. They don't want to run in the Olympics or anything like that. They, um, they just need to do those basic things. Um, and, and they'll get the results. Uh, and I think too many people sort of overcomplicate things as, as well. And, um, you know, like I, I did a podcast not long ago, just 
on sleep. It was like a big topic, uh, a big podcast just solely on sleep. And the takeaway I gave at the end was, you know, like if it's dark outside um, and you're living inside, uh, if it's dark and cold outside and you're stuck inside surrounded by artificial light and screens with the heater on, there's a big mismatch, right? Like, and that's going to impact your sleep and circadian rhythm and stuff. But I think that's true for general health and not just sleep you know if if we have given these bodies that can do amazing things with it so use it now and then um you know it's yeah it's it's pretty basic at the end of the day in order to achieve pretty good health and wellness um but i think a lot of people overcomplicate it yeah it's 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 simple but not easy right yeah yeah that's good (laughs) simple but not easy and also unnatural problems call for unnatural solutions in some cases. So it's totally, yes. Uh, you know, it, like we said, uh, or like you said earlier, uh, in order for you to understand what's going on with your online clients, you're, you're tracking with Aura Ring or Fitbit, you're tracking steps, you're doing pictures of food, you're tracking HRV. So you're using a bunch of technology, which definitely no one would find out in the wild, but mm-hmm. uh, it's because in you know, I would say pretty much everyone that would be listening to this podcast has aspects of their life that are definitely not natural. <laughs> and, totally, totally. Um, so it takes some um, some tools and things and some tweaking to kind of mitigate that damage. And and I think part of that too, like, so circadian rhythm is a big one that I discovered. I didn't discover it for everyone. I discovered it for mm. myself a few years ago. And I got into wearing blue blocking glasses at night and um, trying to fix, you know, I was always a night owl. Uh, I could easily stay up pretty late and sleep in pretty late. Um, and it, even worse, when I was younger, I would uh, sleep in school or uh, fall asleep uh, in class and things like that. And then I'd be up all night and playing video games or looking at screens or doing something. And now I, I'm finally to the point after years of kind of tweaking it and uh, taking it seriously and wearing blue blockers for several years now that I can just go in my room. I have no electronics in my room. I go in there, lay down, and I'm just sleep like good quality long sleep and it it took a long time for me to get to that point but a dark room like you said when it's dark out trying to get uh, away from screens and bright lights uh, trying not to eat uh, right before bed which actually we uh, we talked about in that discussion on Facebook as well Um, (laughs) which uh, as a quick aside about that is the carb backloading and carbonite principles would say to eat right before bed and kind of uh, leverage that as a, a hack, so to speak, to get you to go to sleep really quickly. Yeah. Um, and then you're just like, you definitely didn't have any problems with body heat back then, did you? Because you were probably sweating all night. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was <laughs> it was too intense on nights. It was, uh, yeah, I actually d- didn't like it, especially in the heat of summer. Yeah. And then so, so I, I also did that for a period of time. And uh, now I tend to eat a lot earlier in the day. Um, I went through, I do kind of intermittent fasting, like you said, about a 16 hour window of not eating. Um, and I used to do that from lunch. So around like midday to kind of late would be my eight hour feeding window. Now my feeding window is kind of like 
early or late morning, depending on when you wake up. I eat around nine or 10 in the morning, and then I stop eating eight hours after that. And I I sleep great. Uh, my energy levels are great. Um, so anyways, I guess last thing on that is, do you have kind of a nighttime routine that you go through uh, to get ready for a good quality sleep? Yeah, I do. Um and it's something that I, I have a sleep course and it's it's one of the first things I focus on is um, setting a regular bedtime and then building a, a nighttime routine. I think so many people talk about like morning routines and you hear podcasts and stuff where they're talking about morning routines. And it's something that I have, like it's I have this great morning routine I follow every day. But yeah, nighttime sort of overlooks. So um, look, personally, I, uh, I try and get off technology, like off the computer and everything um, a couple hours before bed. Um, you know, let's say six o'clock, I'll try switch off and uh, the place I'm living at the moment doesn't have cell phone and we don't use Wi-Fi so as soon as I step away from the computer I'm literally disconnected from the world uh, which nice. is great and um, you know so we we'll eat dinner my partner and I we eat dinner and then clean up and then you know depending on what we're doing we may I, I like reading I try to read a book or two a week so um, I'll spend some time reading or we might watch a documentary or a movie or something or since the uh, sun doesn't set till about nine o'clock here in New Zealand at the moment, we might go for a be uh, beach walk after dinner um, and just chill, and that's always nice. And then, yeah, we just just try to relax and unwind, and uh, try to minimize those potential stresses or distractions like email and stuff like that. So, wind down um, when the sun does set. Uh, we'll generally put the blue blocker glasses on, but again, the sun's up so late here, so it's seems a bit pointless but uh, we usually put them on anyway around eight o'clock um, if not earlier especially over winter we'll put them on earlier um, and then I have a lot of red light LEDs um, around the house so if we do need light we just use those to minimize the blue light and then yeah we go I, I'll brush my teeth and floss my teeth and do all that jazz and occasionally I'll take some magnesium before bed and then maybe a little bit, bit of reading in bed and then uh, I use a five-minute journal so I'll do my grat gratitude journaling sometimes I'll plan out my day but uh, I've stopped doing that recently because I find it, it all of a sudden re-sparks you know that busy mind um what am I going to do what have I got to do so I, I've stopped that lately and then um yeah and then just read in bed and then switch off and sleep um pretty basic nothing too complex it's just pretty much wind, wind down and relax well you know it's like i said simple but not easy uh one of the yes. things that i like alex about you is that whether it's business or you know routines for your evening or uh, training for bodybuilding uh, national competitions or whatever it is is that you do it. I mean, that's the, that's the piece that I think most people are missing. So, um, it's a lot of, a lot of times people will, you know, these, these podcasts are great and I'm, I'm so happy that they're helping a lot of people that have told me that this is helping, but I encourage people to also just go, you know, pick, pick one thing and just try to really do it well. And then earlier when I was talking about maintenance mode, I was kind of referencing it more in the, longs, in the lines of that anyways, which was like, let's say you want to do a targeted increase in strength, but you can right. still do some basic maintenance for your aerobic levels, for example, uh, just a little bit here and there. And it doesn't really take much to keep that maintained while you're building strength. And the same thing can be applied to life in general. You know, if sleep is something that you really want to improve, 
don't let everything else fall off the map. Uh, don't just, uh, you know, eat pizza for every meal because it's easier uh, so that you can get more sleep. I mean, I suppose that's one strategy, but uh, <laughs> it's, you know, make sure to just kind of maintain those basic other things and really focus on one thing like sleep uh, and try to optimize it with basic hacks. Like kind of coming back to what I said about unnatural solutions for unnatural problems. If somebody doesn't live on the beach in New Zealand, for example, if they're living in New York City in an apartment and there's Wi-Fi, like probably 200 or 500 Wi-Fi within their you know, 50 meters of them. And there's lights on all this, all the time, 24 seven outside, you know, blue blocking glasses. That's one thing. Not eating right before bed uh, would be another thing or, or shifting that eating to a little bit earlier, um, getting off the screens. Um, like you said, maybe doing a little reading or journaling, getting into a, a routine, uh, maybe putting on some uh, calming music, in the evening. I mean, these are all things that you can do to kind of just mitigate the damage of the unnatural environment that we're in. Um, so anyway, like anyways, yeah, yeah <laughs> I appreciate it. Actually on that note, I just had a, I remembered that you posted a picture a while back when you were traveling and I can't remember exactly what city you were in, but you posted your morning routine and how you're staying in a hotel and you still got in your your full morning routine. Um, <laughs> and yep. uh, so you, you mentioned your night routine. Real quick, what's your morning routine? Um, well, it's changed a little bit since we've moved here to New Zealand. And obviously, I don't have uh, my PT work and, um, and uh, the city life. Um, so at the moment, what I'm doing is I'm getting up around about 7, 7.30 uh, in the morning. Um, I just wake naturally, don't have an alarm, which is nice. Uh, and then I'll do, I'll have a, a big glass of water um, with a Chinese adaptogenic herb blend uh, called Tianchi. I have half a packet of that. And then I uh, I do my HRV reading. I have five minutes. I set my elite HRV up to five minute reading. And then I'll do, um, sometimes I'll do a little bit longer. And I, I just do some deep breathing exercises. So maybe like um, nostril breathing, you know, single nostril breathing or just deep belly breaths. Um, and uh, so I do that. And then I will read a few pages of a book. So in the morning, I'll, I'll always have like a self-improvement or, you know, um, motivational book just sitting next to the couch and I'll just read, you know, a couple of pages just to inspire me, I guess, or put me in a positive state of mind. Um, so I'll do that. And then I'll do my five-minute journal in the morning uh and then i'll have another glass of water with uh you know i've got some salt in there and then um baking soda and creatine i'll down that and then um i what do i do then i do some get-ups some turkish get-ups and a few stretches in the morning uh and then i'll go for a walk so i go for about a 15 minute walk uh, along the beach and i'll take my phone but again there's no cell phone uh, coverage on the beach so um i'll just take my phone and listen to a podcast um sometimes i just won't take it at all and you know if i got a lot on my mind i'll just do some thinking so i'll do that barefoot um grounding and then i come back and uh i then make a morning coffee or a smoothie or breakfast and um start planning up my day and then around nine o'clock i'll, I'll start working 
So that's my routine. Uh, that's that's awesome. That's a an enviable routine, uh, definitely. And you know, like I said, it's it's one of the things about you is that you just do these things and no, and don't make excuses. Uh, which I'm sure along the way, you've run into road bumps and uh, setbacks and things, but the results speak for themselves. And and if people are listening, saying like. It sounds, after all this discussion, overwhelming to have all these different things that you need to optimize or or somebody might be thinking, I'll never get to the lifestyle that Alex has. And, you know, the message that I would say is that even in the time I've known you, Alex, that you've you've been improving and changing things and that it's not like you were born with this routine and uh, you've just been tweaking and optimizing little things along the way and kind of tracking your progress and seeing what works and what doesn't. Does that sound accurate? (laughs) Yeah, it does. And it's funny you say that because um, like I have realized that uh, in terms of my own health and fitness journey. And when I developed this coaching program of, of mine I was, I was like look I can't I can't expect someone to just change from their um, you know skim milk and cornflake breakfast um, eating every two three hours and doing chronic cardio you know I, I can't expect someone to change from that lifestyle to mine overnight right like it's just not going to happen in fact I can't expect them to change like even 10% like, like to get even 10% of the life that I'm sort of living or the diet I'm sort of following and then I look back and I was like well I, my change was so slow and, you know, for instance, gluten, like I read two or three books on gluten. I watched a couple of documentaries and I still had doubts about it. And then I read articles and then I was like, you know, what, I'm going to, I'm going to experiment with this. And I started feeling a bit better. So I went without gluten and that was probably a two month journey. So things like that, that's what I've incorporated into this coaching program now where it's literally drip fed one thing at a time um, because otherwise, yeah, it's just too overwhelming. So, for instance, I might say, all right, like we're going to reduce carbs, but I don't really talk about grass fed or free range or anything like that when it comes to meat. You know, like mm-hmm. I just tell them to eat more bacon, right? And then maybe two months later, we'll, we'll then start talking about free range and they're like, oh, wow, this is interesting. And a few people will turn around and be like, what? If it was that bad or if this was bad, why didn't you tell me about it from day one? And I was like, well, look at all those changes that happened. If I told you this as well, you probably would have just freaked out and been like, this is too hard. And um, that's why my coaching program goes for 52 weeks because there's so much I want to teach them and I need time to, to teach them that. And, and it's great because people do get like six weeks in or six months in and they're like, well, so much has changed now. You know, like I'm, I'm wearing blue blockers at night. I'm eating this and I'm going for walks and I'm walking bare feet and I'm eating organic and doing all these things. And like, it's, it's amazing how far I've come and in such a short time. And, but it doesn't feel like they've radically overhauled their life you know overnight because uh i don't think that's possible i don't think that's good it's not gonna be um sustainable and um a lot of times people don't buy into it you know if you just tell them to do all these things and they don't understand the why or don't believe it or don't understand the importance then it's not going to stick so um yeah i mean just constantly tinkering and learning and applying and if something works and i feel better for it or the the science is there to back it up then i'll stick with it otherwise um you know i'll let it go by the wayside and move on to something else yeah no that that's great and i mean like i said the results kind of speak for itself you 
uh, went through a nine month period where you're doing 15 minutes a week, almost of training and then ended it with, you know, dominating a deadlift competition. (laughs) And it was not just because you were only training 15 minutes a week of, of super slow, but it was also because you're in a place where you've optimized a lot of things over time. And so you're able to take advantage of those, each and every one of those small, uh, workouts. So that was, that was kind of one of the things from my history was that I had a lot of gut dysbiosis, so to speak, uh, some gut inflammation and it didn't matter like how much I worked out or how much I ate, I couldn't build muscle. So when I finally fixed that, I was able to join the land of the living and, um, actually see results whenever I put time in the gym. And, uh, so that, that was fantastic. But so, yeah, so, uh, we've been going a while now. I'm glad the, the, we had a couple of hiccups in the connection at the beginning, but we've been going strong now for uh, a while. Why don't we do, uh, kind of two more quick questions and then we'll wrap up and we'll have to do another round sometime if we feel inclined to continue this discussion or if I've put you to sleep, then, you know, maybe I'll never hear from you again, but (laughs) Um, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, whatever suits you. Great. Okay. So of all the things that we've talked about tweaking and how we talked about this being an evolution and, and that you mentioned that living or aligning yourself more with the, the natural way of living uh, going with the patterns of the sun are light and dark and eating food that's not processed and all that stuff. What would you say is kind of the first couple uh, tweaks that is like the 80-20 that people might start thinking about? Um, if Let's assume they do what you mentioned. They have a, a skim milk and cornflakes breakfast typically, maybe have coffee for lunch. You know, who, who knows? Let's say that's the... the kind of the standard high-performing person in the sense that they have a job and they're, you know, got a lot of things that they're juggling. They may not sleep the best. Digestion may not be the best. Um, Food is opposite of what we've been talking about. Uh, What would be kind of the first couple things that they should start thinking about? Okay. Um, From the diet point of view, I would simply say, just eat a more of a more of a natural sort of a, a diet. Um, so don't worry too much about carbs or protein or fats and all that sort of stuff. Just just if you if you're eating a lot of uh, prepackaged meals, you know, uh, cornflakes and stuff like that that are coming out of boxes, maybe uh, replace them with with something a little bit more natural, or unprocessed. Because if you look at like all the diets out there, whether it's paleo or vegan or um atkins or you know all these sort of things there's generally a common theme which is you know less processed sort of food right um so you know i'm not going to say it has to be this diet or it has to be you know high fat or whatever um because i think it really does depend on the person and and their environment and their context and everything like that so um yeah just simply more uh more of a natural sort of less processed uh meal or diet um, so that would be the diet front. Training side, I'm just going to assume that they're doing a lot of training. Just remember that training is a stress on the body. And a lot of the times when it comes to uh, improving your health or even losing fat or even improving performance, it's a matter of um, decreasing stress and or 
um, increasing your ability to handle that stress or recovery. So if you if you can't do that, like if you're not a professional athlete who's getting two massages a day and a, a daily nap and having all the best supplements in the world, then it might not be wise to train like a professional athlete. <laughs> so um so yeah, if you are doing a lot of training, um just question why you are training so much and probably cut back. Generally I'd just say cut it in half and that's a pretty fair statement for most of the clients I've seen, like cut your training volume in half. So that'd be the training front. And uh, just in terms of lifestyle, then yeah, it, it definitely uh, prioritize your sleep. You know, stop wasting all this time and money on fancy supplements and, you know, that are going to improve mitochondrial health or like supplements that are going to boost your sports performance by 2%. And if that's coming at the cost of uh, sleep or if you're not already prioritizing your sleep. So um, just, yeah, sit it, sit it. Uh, in my sleep course, again, I, I say uh, one of the modules is um, titled How Adults Don't Have Sleep t- uh, Bedtimes. You know, it's, it's something we just seem to grow out of when we're a kid or a teenager. Like it's, bedtimes are just really for kids. But I think it's important to have a consistent and regular bedtime um, as an adult. I mean, it might not be seven nights a week, you know, but at least Monday through Friday or Sunday through Thursday or something. Like have a consistent bedtime and, and uh, figure out how much sleep that you function best on it might be seven hours might be eight hours and just work back from when you have to get up and set that as a bedtime and, and that's something easy and i think that's going to be one of the most effective and beneficial health and performance and um, wellness hacks or changes that you can do plus it's free like it's it's um it's crazy how people sort of get so caught up on details like the training programs and supplements to take and what diet to follow and they're only sleeping five or six hours a, a night so um I think that's a big emphasis. And then the second part of that lifestyle sort of change would be um, just looking at uh, switching off, you know, whether it's a walk through the park or on the beach or just around your neighborhood, um, you know, try to do it without a phone or do it bare feet or, or you know, just go with your partner or a friend or something and um, just disconnect from, from the world or from your work or from Facebook or whatever it is that's uh, just keeping you, you know, keeping that mind racing, um, which will probably have a profound effect on terms of your general like resilience to, to life stresses and just how you feel and everything. So yeah, those would be the, the top starting points. And that's pretty much what I'll do with one of my clients as well. I mean, obviously I get a little bit more specific with the diet and the training, but yeah, it's just, just working on those basic things. Great. And that kind of leads me to the last question I had, which was, you know, you said you have a 52 week program for clients and these are some of the things that you optimize with your actual clients. Do you have any kind of neat uh, testimonials that you like to share about, uh, let's say, somebody who's just really trying to maybe lose a little bit of fat and optimize health and uh, how that went for them? Um, so what you want me to blow my own trumpet here, right? <laughs> Is that what you're yeah, asking? Well, yeah, yes, yes. But, uh, but not, not, not like a word for word where somebody says, Oh, Alex is the best coach ever. Um, but what I mean is more like, um, for example, I have one that I always like to go to, which is that when I kind of help, I worked with my sister and just happens to be one of the best testimonials that, that she's my sister. Um, but, she, uh, we were working on her diet and just kind of going over various things. And at first she eliminated a lot of processed food. She lost about 20 pounds in a couple months. 
And then where she still had a lot of weight to lose, she was uh, very overweight. And um, she uh, ended up finding out that going uh, taking more of an autoimmune approach, eliminating foods that could potentially cause autoimmune reactions, specifically nightshades, that when she eliminated nightshades and uh, fruit, that she ended up losing, uh, well, the fruit was part of the first part, but when she eliminated some of those foods that cause autoimmune reactions for her, she ended up losing 40 more pounds for a total of over 60 or 70, I can't remember, I think it was over 70 pounds in like six months. And it was just, she she literally did not exercise like hardly at all during that time. And it was purely just finding the foods that were inflammatory to her. And it, it was aligned with the framework of what you're talking about, which is starting with going towards more natural foods, unprocessed foods, eliminating grains, dairy, you know, processed things. And Mm -hmm. yeah, like you said, um, her sleep probably wasn't even optimized her. She was probably still looking at screens before bed. Um, Granted, she doesn't have like uh, a strict schedule during the day. So she's Mm -hmm. a mother of two, which um, is a challenge in and of itself. But so she was probably getting decent amount of sleep, but, uh, it was really those small tweaks to the food. And then the weight just like started flying off of her essentially. So that's the story I like to tell. And, um, it wasn't how cool I am. It was just because (laughs) she, we figured out like a little bit of what it was specifically for her. So do you have any kind of neat ones like that? Um, um, yeah, I mean, (laughs) There are a couple like, you know, I've, I've had some really good results in terms of fat loss with clients and sleep improvement. Um, you know, I've had a client with MS who's come off a lot of their medications and stuff after working with me. So there's a lot of this, those sort of stories. But, um, you know, what I'd rather like talk about is is more benefit that I like. We live in a world where everyone sort of specializes right on their job or whatever area in life um, it is. And I guess in a way, like I specialize on trying to improve one's health or and or performance. I, I think that highly correlated like sports performance is closely linked to health, especially from a longevity point of view. And um, that's what I do. Like I, I, I talked about it earlier on how I'm a little bit selfish in that regards because I just want to improve my own health and performance and and I'm always trying these things and reading the books and doing courses and whatnot and um that's become my you know my job effectively and I'm fortunate enough now to work with people who are very successful in other areas of life whether it's you know property development or like um you know stockbroking or um you know even being a, a mother or whatever it is like that that's what they're good at and um they come to me because they need this experience or knowledge or guidance um that they don't have or they don't have the time to you know like i've been doing this for years right they don't have the time to read the books and try all these experiments uh, all these particular diets and, and supplements and um so they they're happy to tap into that knowledge um and then they can specialize at what they're good at doing and um like i i've worked with a business coach or two business coaches actually who work with some very successful and big um, companies here in australia you know it was kind of funny because like they they come to a, a business coach comes to a health coach but they were saying how like you know so many people um, so many people 
don't really understand the importance of having coaches, um, whether it's a business coach or a health coach or a sports coach. And, and you're saying how like even, you know, professional athletes like Tiger Woods, for instance, had something like 12 coaches at his peak. You know, it was like a diet coach, um, a coach, a putting coach, a driving coach, you know, all these sort of, you know, someone for his mindset and all that sort of stuff. And um, again, like Tiger Woods could specialize, uh, focus on what he did best, which was playing golf. Um, and then he could get help you know, for his diet, he didn't have to go home and read, listen to podcasts on diet and read all these paleo books or whatever it may be. And he didn't have to turn up to the gym and try to figure out what, what rep range to do and how many times a week to train. Like he had someone that helped him. And, and I think, um, that's really my value add and that's what I am doing with a lot of clients. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're caught up in doing whatever you're doing and you're kind of bogged down by all this uh books coming out and articles and blogs and podcasts and what and you're just confused um then it it may be wise to turn to someone that's you know spends every second of the day it seems um sorting through that and reading the studies and trialing on himself and and working with clients yeah, I mean, there we go. Yeah, no, that's 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 great, and definitely as I've talked to you over time and in this conversation, you know, it's it's clear that, like we mentioned earlier, you have a, a partnership that you're looking to create with your client, and that uh, they not only come out healthier at the end, but more in control over their own life and of their own health. So that's fantastic. You know, I hope people really take away that that's the power of working with a good coach a good coach. Um, so, uh, is that you don't just get some good little short-term benefit is that you also get, uh, knowledge to, that you can use for the rest of your life in other areas as well. Well, that's great, Alex. And I appreciate it. So, uh, we'll go ahead and start wrapping up, but where, where can people find more information about you? Sure. Um, so my website is alexfergus.com. Um, that's where I, I blog and I try to put out an article every few weeks or so. Um, so there's a ton of information on there about my experiments and, um, yeah, all sorts of sleep and whatnot. I also have a sleep course. Um, so if anyone would like to learn, well, I've actually got a four part series. It's a free four part series. So if anyone wants to learn the, the basics of improving their sleep, without signing up to the course or anything like that, they can go to uh, soundasleepcourse.com and uh, subscribe to, uh, to to some of those, um, I call them like reports, I guess, um, where I just break down the top low-hanging fruits to pick when it comes to improving sleep. And um, I'm not that active on social media. I, I, I am on Facebook, but I, it's very rare that I go on there to post stuff I, I mainly go on there and you know tap into the the knowledge base and groups like yours and a few others but um feel free to find me on facebook and you can message me through there or, or send me an email if you have any questions great no that's awesome um, there's a lot of great information in here and um i look forward to going and digging in digging through it and then publishing it out for everyone to listen to, uh, whether you're a coach or a client or you're just trying to troubleshoot your own situation. There's a lot of gems in this conversation that we've had here. Um, and I think a lot of it is due to the fact that, like we mentioned at the beginning, is that you're just kind of a tinkerer, Alex, and that uh, you you do a good job documenting everything that you're up to and sharing with people what you've tried and what's worked and what hasn't worked. And clearly, uh, given your record, you've uh, figured out a lot of 
this stuff. So there's always more to learn, of course, but, um, you know, it's awesome. Awesome to have you on the show and sharing all of that. So I appreciate it. No, thank you. It was, it's been great. And, um, yeah, you'll have to, uh, you have to make a trip down, down under sometime. Cause I, I think you'll love it down here. Otherwise, uh, hopefully see you at, um, Paleo FX next year. I, I hope to come back up though. It's a big trip now from, from New Zealand. So, <laughs> I'm sure I can scrape together a few pennies and and get up there for uh, 2017. Hey folks, Jason Moore here again with a quick bit of info to share. You'll of course find all of the links to our guests and everything we've discussed over on the website, but you can now also ask questions and leave comments directly to myself or to our show guests. So if you've ever had the urge to ask a question, Feel free to pop over to the show notes page over at EliteHRV.com slash podcast and ask away. Um, And as always, if you're liking what you hear or you just want to share uh, a comment or give us a thumbs up, the best place to do that is over on iTunes. Just search Elite HRV Podcast on iTunes or go to www.EliteHRV.com slash review. I read every single one and I and I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen and share your thoughts with us. So again, many, many thanks for listening and sharing this show. Have a great week and see you in the next episode. Sponsored by HRVCourse.com. Truly understand the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability and how to apply them towards your goals. Use discount code ELITEPODCAST for 10% off your first HRV course. That's all one word, ELITEPODCAST. Visit hrvcourse.com to get access today.